But we're back at a problem because it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that we would not perish. But people do perish. And so we're back at that major problem of God loving a world and sent his Son, and still many of those perish. What can this possibly mean then? Well, very simply, it's the world of Jews and Gentiles. When John was writing in the first century, there were many who still held on to the idea that God was only interested in Israel, the Jews. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and we continue our series on the gospel. On today, we move to limited atonement. How does the Bible present this matter of Jesus dying for sinners? And what of those who never become Christians? Did Jesus die for them? These are very important issues. We come today to Isaiah chapter 53 to answer this question. And I want you to listen carefully of how the Scripture speaks of the death of the Lord Jesus. Here is verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now you'll notice that there are no maybes, buts, or ifs. It is a certainty that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is granted to his people. And those for whom he died shall receive the benefit of his death. He bled on purpose, pouring out his blood, shedding his own redeeming blood to purchase. And it was a real transaction. And that's the point. It was a transaction. And the transaction was accepted and sinners are saved. So stay with us today as we move to the pulpit of our church on this question of the purpose in the atonement. And the Bible is very, very accurate in how it presents this redemption. In Isaiah 53, verse 8, it says, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. does not say for the redemption or for the transgression of the whole world, or all mankind. It says there in Isaiah 53, verse 8, in that chapter of the atoning work of Christ, that the transgression of my people, Christ was stricken. Now, that is in keeping, of course, with the covenant of grace when Christ was given by the Father as a covenant for the people all his elect. And so you have the Savior dying for a particular people. 
And that is where we get the term particular redemption, limited atonement. It's not limited in its power. It's not limited in its purpose. But it is for those alone whom the Father has given to the Son, and all those are saved and redeemed. Now, I'm looking at your faces, and you're very solemn. I'm not sure that you're convinced. I think you understand the gravity of what we're teaching here today. You're understanding that this is a very, very vital doctrine that we must handle with great care, and that is true. And so, therefore, I want to give you a number of scriptures that I pray God in His grace will pour light on this subject. We've looked at Isaiah 53, verse 8, where it talks about Christ died for the transgression of His people. Well, think now about Matthew 1, 21, where the angel said to Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel did not say to Joseph, Call his name Jesus, because he will be the Savior of all mankind, but his people. And so you can see that the Holy Spirit, in moving men to write the Scriptures, was very specific very accurate in the acknowledging that Christ came into the world to save the elect of God, all whom the Father gave to the Son. Now, another passage is John chapter 10. This is the passage where you have the parable of Christ the shepherd, and Christians are referred to as sheep. John 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, notice he's talking about laying down his life as a good shepherd for the sheep. But he knows his own sheep. They are not any sheep. And then he speaks in the middle of that passage that I have other sheep. They would be the Gentiles. It's not just Jews, but Gentiles. And the people for whom Christ died in this passage are referred to as sheep. You might say, but that doesn't restrict it. That's just uh, an idiom. That's just a manner of speaking in parabolic language, referring to believers and Christians as sheep. Now, if you go on to verse 25, you will see that it is restricted. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not. Now, why do they not believe? 
Jesus answers the question, Because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So you can see that there's a dividing line here. There are sheep that are within the fold. They are Christ's sheep, ordained to believe. And those sheep hear the voice of the Savior and follow him. Those who do not never wear the Lord's sheep. They never wear appointed unto him. Now, there's another text. I think you'll be familiar with this one, 2 Timothy 1.19, where it says, The Lord knoweth them that are his. It's a very clear text to show that the Lord has us definite people in mind whom he will save. All right, how did that sit? Are you smiling? Do you grasp this? Do you understand this? I'm sure there is someone looking at me right now, and you're asking, ah, but what about John 3.16, where it says, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son? That's a very proper question. If this doctrine of particular redemption or limited atonement, that Christ died only for certain sheep of his fold, the elect whom the Father gave him, then John 3.16 would be a problem. Well, here is the classic way to answer this. It's not my original thinking, but I'll give you what is the classic answer on John 3.16 in understanding the meaning of the word world. The Greek word is cosmos. Many would take that then because the cosmos is the globe. It is the earth as a world that we inhabit. And we would say then, God so loved the world. But remember, this world is going to burn up. God is not in love with this cosmos sphere, the crust of the earth. That doesn't hold. The other possibility is that Christ died for the Roman world, or God so loved the Roman world, which was pretty much the only known world at that time. Australia was not yet known. The Americas were not yet known. Various other parts of the world were not known. And so did God just love those parts of the world. What are we doing in Canada then, preaching the gospel, if it is restrictive only to the Roman world or to the known world. Then there also is the way in which we use the world. We talk about the madness and the rebellion of man. That is their worldly spirit, the spirit of the world. Well, we know that God does not love rebellion. He does not love those that are hostile unto him. They will come under his judgment. So God does not love the wrath of man, the worldly bent of the spirit of the world. So it can't be that. The other possibility then is that Christ died or God loved all the populations of the world that were ever born. Every single son of Adam 
ever born into this world. But we're back at a problem because it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that we would not perish. But people do perish. And so we're back at that major problem of God loving a world and sent his Son, and still many of those perish. What can this possibly mean then? Well, very simply, it's the world of Jews and Gentiles. When John was writing in the first century, there were many who still held on to the idea that God was only interested in Israel, the Jews, and nobody outside in the Gentile world. The Gentile world were called dogs. They were not worthy of God's mercy. But here in this gospel text, this classic gospel text, it's simply saying that God loves Jews and Gentiles, people out of every nation, every tongue, and every people. And in this way, God loves his elect people. In Romans 1.5, it says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And then in Matthew 24, uh, we read, And he shall send his angels with a great sound to a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so you can see that the word world does not present a major problem. It can be easily answered. When we understand that John 3.16, the word world is referring to Jews and or Gentiles, and God so loved Jews and or Gentiles and sent his own Son that we do not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I've preached the first point, and time's running out on me, so I better really get to the punchline of these next two things here, because I want to deal with it today. I don't want to extend this any further, and so I'm going to just take a few minutes in each one. The, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, is not limited in its purpose, and it's not limited in its power. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12 that all manner of sin and blasphemy— it can be forgiven when we repent and turn of it. So this doctrine is not limiting the power of the blood to wash any sinner white from their black sins. Adultery, the blood of Jesus, cleanses from it. David found that in Psalm 51. Wash me and I shall be clean. Murder, David also found that. Paul the apostle was a murderer but he was also washed in the very blood of the Lord Jesus. Prostitutes and all the wicked, hellish sins of this world, there is power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse from all manner of sin. And no matter who you are and how you've sinned, there is efficacy, power, and victory in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from sin. So this doctrine does not limit either the purpose of redemption or the power 
of the blood of Jesus to cleanse and to wash us clean. And so this gospel is not just merely the offer of a possibility of salvation. It's an absolute certainty. And it works, and it works every time whom God chooses to eternal life. There's a story of a man who committed a very serious crime uh, under the presidency of Andrew Jackson. This is a, and President Jackson offered a pardon to this man, but he refused it. He threw it in the face of the president and said, I don't want your pardon. And so he met his fate. He paid for his crime himself. Could that happen to you or me? Could God in his predestination, in his election, in the atoning work of Christ, plan and execute pardon for you and me? And then we just choose not to accept it. Well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because President Jackson did not die in the place of the criminal. He did not satisfy justice by his own death, but our Lord Jesus did. And God cannot payment twice demand, first at my surety's hand and then again at mine. And when the gospel is offered to us, there is no refusal. And next week, Lord willing, we'll get to the irresistible grace that all whom God ordains to eternal life and all for whom Christ died, they are effectually, irresistibly drawn by the Spirit of God to receive the gospel. And so the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There is no one that will throw this in the face of God and resist God's will and say no to salvation because God has determined their salvation by a decree. My last point to preach here today is that this doctrine does not limit the preaching of the gospel. When the Apostle Paul went to the city of Athens as an evangelist, as a pioneer preacher in that city, he was very discouraged because there were people stoning him. They were opposing him right, left, and center. And God spoke to Paul, and he said, Fear not, Paul, for I have much people in this city. Now, can you figure out what that means? God was saying to the apostle, who was just black and blue with all the opposition of men, Paul, don't give up. Keep on preaching because I have much people in this city. God was relaying to the apostle the knowledge that he had an elect, preordained people in that city who would be saved, and God was going to use Paul as the vessel, the preacher, to bring them to the light of the gospel. Don't give up, Paul. I have much people in this city. And so instead of hindering Paul's preaching, it encouraged him Instead of saying to us, well, then there's no point in preaching. God's going to save me. Well, anyway, no, God calls us and gives us the privilege of being the vessels, the messengers of this gospel. And we're also given the encouragement that God has a people whom he will save. And praise God, it's not all up to me. It's not my 
vocabulary, my pressure tactics. It's not getting men in the right place at the right time with the right message and the right pressure and the right arguments, and we'll get them saved. No, it is just preach. Just tell the good news of the gospel. And the Lord says, I have much people in this city whom I will save. And all who come are assured of a promise of eternal life. The doctrine of limited atonement does not limit the preaching, nor the offer, nor the promise that if you come to Christ, he'll save you. But rather, it makes it certain, rather than just according to the will or whim of man. And so today, let us rejoice that God in his sovereign grace chose us, that we today, by the Spirit of God, have this saving interest in his blood, that we are brought by his grace to understand our need and to see the victory of Christ in his death to save us from our sins. And that we can say today we are one of the Lord's people. We were chosen from eternity. We were bought at Calvary. We were drawn by the Spirit to believe. And one day we're going to be glorified in heaven. It's a gospel of watertight, absolute certainty from beginning to end. I trust that that message thrills your heart today and that you will participate with joy, rejoicing in so great a salvation. There's a sweet and blessed story of the Christ who came from glory just to rescue me from sin and misery. In loving kindness sought me, and from sin and shame has brought me Alleluia, Jesus ransomed me. Alleluia, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the mire clay, and set him free. I will never tell the story, shouting glory, glory, glory. To the heights of joy and gladness, Jesus lifted me in mercy full and free. With his precious body bought me when I knew him, body sought me and in love divine he ransomed me. Alleluia, what a Savior who can take a full of sin Well, I hope that uh, the message today has been of help to 
lead you to a deeper understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we can see that there are great depths to the statement that Christ died for his people or that he died for sinners. And I hope that you took to heart that uh, John chapter 10 where Jesus talked about his sheep which are of his fold and that Christ died for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. And so this is particular language which helps us to understand that the Lord had certain people in mind when he came to die on the cross for his people whom he would redeem. And he did. Praise God. Everyone whom the Father gave to the Son and the Lord Jesus undertook in the covenant of grace to purchase by his blood, everyone will be saved and they will be saved eternally. Jesus gives to his people eternal life, life that will last through heaven, through judgment, and will lead everyone to the throne of God in full acceptance because Christ died and has given us this gift of eternal life. Now, John chapter 3.16, of course, is uh, very much the controlling uh, thought in many people's minds when they think of the gospel that God so loved the world. And the explanation is really very basic, that that word world was used there because Christ died for more than just Jews. And that was deeply ingrained into the thinking of the Jewish nation, that God had only interest in one people, everyone else were outcasts. And you know how exceedingly difficult it was to convince Peter Uh, that uh, the gospel was for Gentiles. And when he went to the house of Cornelius, was given that vision. And when he preached the gospel and uh, Gentiles were converted, it was an absolute shock and surprise. And so when the word world is used, it is used to mean people who are Jews and people who are Gentiles out of every tribe, nation, and tongue, and that God, by redemption, is calling out a people for his name. And that's what he's doing in the world today. He's doing it in China. He's doing it in Japan, in Korea. He's doing it in Europe and Russia and South America, U.S., and here in Canada. And we have to believe that God has a people whom he is going to save, And he sends us to preach the gospel that he will gather in those people for whom he died. And so this gives us the greatest motivation to go and preach the gospel with the certainty that the people for whom Christ died will hear, will believe, and will be saved and saved eternally. This is a glorious message. And it fills us with with a thrill to go and proclaim the name of Jesus to a needy world. I trust that that will be your delight and your burden as well. Thank you. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music